Hi, and welcome to the latest podcast from Brabners, where we talk about the experts that might be involved in your divorce and finances case. My name is Joanne Radcliffe. I'm a partner in the family team here at Brabners. And today I am joined by three barristers from 14 Chambers. 14 is a leading set of barristers in London who have a number of specialist barristers dealing with family finance and children law. I'm going to allow them to each introduce themselves, but today we have Carmini Kumar, Mandy Tanner and Grace Garrett-Sadler with us. Uh, so perhaps we could start with a brief introduction from you all. Uh, Mandy, would you like to, to kick us off? Absolutely. My name is Mandy Tanner. As Joanne has just said, I am a family barrister with a specialty in financial remedies on divorce. And I take particular interest in that area um, in third party interests. So, for instance, if your brother owns an interest in your house or your father has given you some money, um, that that kind of area is where I particularly um, find myself instructed. Fantastic. Carmony. Hi, I'm Carmeny Kumar. Um, I'm also a barrister at 14 specialising in family law. Um, my practice is split between matrimonial finance and private children. Um, and I, in particular, um, am interested in representing the same clients in both sets of proceedings. And Grace, if you could introduce yourself as well. Hello, um, I'm Grace Garrett-Sadler. And like the two wonderful ladies before me, I'm also a family barrister. And um, I'd say that I'm like Carmony splits between um, family finance type disputes and, and private child disputes and, and equally enjoy getting to represent um, clients through both of those uh, and similarly to, to Mandy often have cases with those third party interests but for me mostly tends to be parents that have helped children get on the housing ladder which seems a recurrent theme um, for everyone everywhere at the moment certainly. Well, I had some some questions for you, um, and it's really about the role that a barrister has um, in a case. And one of the things that we're frequently asked by clients is what is the difference between a solicitor and a barrister? And why do I need a barrister on my case? So I'd be grateful if you could give me your thoughts on that. It's definitely a question that comes up a lot. Even when I'm at court with a client, I'm sometimes being asked that question. Um, and it's so easy to have um, not a huge amount of information about our justice system and how it works, because most people would never have been involved with it until, unfortunately, they have to. Um, and solicitors and barristers really work as a team, but covering different aspects of a case. Solicitors would have been involved in the disputes uh, between um, two people from the very earliest stages, I would say that they are involved at the outset. The person that you call when something happens is your solicitor, and they are the ones that will guide you through those early stages. And it often is the case that it never goes to court and a barrister never come, uh, becomes involved. If that um, dispute needs to go to court, that's really when um, myself and the ladies would step in um, to deal with that argument before the judge about whatever the dispute may be. So there are definitely different aspects of the work that we do, but we're all trying to achieve the same aim. Um, aim. And the focus is very different. With solicitors, I, I feel like the work is more about trying to resolve disputes between the parties, whereas the focus that I have, the majority of the time, tends to be persuading a judge of a particular staff. So the focus is different. Um, but where a solicitor will be involved in corresponding with the other side and getting applications ready and often drafting the important documents, my work predominantly focuses on the advocacy in court, which might be handling witnesses, doing cross-examination and the like, 
or persuading a judge to a particular um, stance in a case. That's great, thank you. I mean, obviously we've talked there about the the different points at which a solicitor and barrister might get involved. Uh, Mandy, I wonder whether you've got any view on at what stage in the process is the best time for a barrister to kind of jump on board of a case? I think it can depend quite a lot on what the case is. So as, as Grace says, there's the different focus in terms of what the solicitor does and what the barrister does. And in a huge number of cases, what you want your barrister to do is to attend court with you, to represent you, because really what a barrister does is there, I, I tend to explain it as being a court specialist, whereas your solicitor is day to day running the case and is your, your touch point. Um, so getting a barrister involved in the vast majority of cases tends to be when you are looking at going to court. And that's because the solicitor is expertly running everything in the day to day. But in terms of how the court might approach things, how the court might look at certain arguments, it's useful to have a barrister who one runs those arguments on a day to day basis and two knows the judges that they're likely to be dealing with. The more complex the case becomes, in my view, the more necessary it is to get a barrister involved at a very early stage. And that's because, again, if you are looking at complexities such as offshore assets, business valuations, um, complex pension structures, you may just need the barrister's input to think about what you need in order to have effective negotiations. Um, more often than not that because of the complexity the solicitor and the barrister will then work together to try and identify what it is that is necessary at such an early stage but for the vast majority of people listening to this the barrister will pop up at court and that is for the purposes of representing you through that hearing um, and that that quite neatly leads me on to uh Carmeny, the fact that barristers are so often involved in the court process. Uh, does that mean that they are only court based or is there a role for a barrister to play in an out of court process? Um, not at all are they only court based. Um, as I think both Grace and Mandy have suggested, um, we do go to court on a regular basis. Um, so what we bring um, it, it to the out of court process is a knowledge of what would happen if the matter went to court, because that's often the the barometer by which you measure something. You think, what would a judge do with this case? Um, and that's that's useful guidance in trying to settle a case outside of the court process. Um, so I would find that I am frequently um, instructed for a conference with the client and with uh, the solicitor at an early stage to give some advice and to give some strategy um, at a point where you might not know whether you're going to end up in court or not. Um, so that's something I, I would certainly suggest, um, getting some strategy right at the start um, of a divorce um, or a family law case generally. The other way in which um, barristers frequently become involved outside of the court process um, is essentially, um, as, as the case with the NHS, um, the court system has become um, logjammed and it can be very, very slow. And over time, uh, there has developed a kind of private court system. It's not really a court system, but you can pay for usually a relatively senior barrister um, to act as your judge and you can decide to um, use them instead of the court process. And I'm a qualified arbitrator 
so uh, parties are able to uh, pick me as their arbitrator to determine um, the outcome of their case. But we also um, often get involved in out-of-court negotiations. So you may set up um, an out-of-court um, settlement meeting when you're not in court proceedings, uh, where you are represented by a barrister who's going to do uh, the negotiating on your behalf. So possibly a roundtable meeting, possibly something set up in a more uh, formal court style. But again, we bring our expertise because that's the sort of thing we're doing on a daily basis um, within the court system um, to that out of court type of meeting. So a barrister's not just uh, not just for Christmas and court, <laughs> but uh, for life. <laughs> Well, I've got a question that's open to, to any of you really to, to jump in with. I wondered if in your practice there are certain arguments or types of disputes that you find are more common between couples who are getting divorced, you know, issues that always seem to crop up. Um, is, there a, is there a theme or, or is every case completely different or is there something that crops up more often? Um, I find one of the things that crops up most commonly is um, a lack of understanding around the differentiation of the roles between the, the the primary earner and perhaps the primary caregiver. So without wishing to say husbands and wives, and it's always that way around, you often find with the primary earner, they'll say, but I paid for this house, why don't I get to keep it? Um, and I find that I spend a lot of my time explaining to people that the financial contributions and the, the other contributions that the other person has made to the marriage don't necessarily mean that you exit on different terms um, and inevitably we find ourselves in a position where we're looking at what one person needs and it's often the person who hasn't been the primary earner who ends up walking away with slightly less and that can be a difficult pill to swallow sometimes. I completely agree with that um, I think that happens an awful lot and I find myself having similar conversations and I think those conversations frequently extend to talking about the higher earners potentially very large pension and um, I find that a lot of time can be focused on a pension asset particularly where there is that big gulf with a sort of traditional primary care and higher earner role um, the concept of that you know this is my pension why should I have to give it up I've worked really hard for it and not seeing that the other party hasn't got one and then will not have the opportunity to accrue a, a figure such as theirs might be and um, does seem to be a, a very regular theme. Uh, Carmen, I wondered if there was there was anything you wanted to add on, on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say the most common dispute, I think, in any divorce, um, not in all divorces, but in a, a lot of the cases I do is over maintenance. Um, I would say capital provision and pension provision is usually a bit more straightforward. There's very clear guidance from the courts um, as to what you do in those scenarios. There's guidance from the courts um, in relation to maintenance as well, but it's not quite so straightforward and it's quite fact specific. So that tends to dominate a lot of the arguments, I would say, in most cases. Mm. So you're having to really drill down into the unique circumstances of, of that couple then when it comes to maintenance? Yes, I mean, there's there's a conflict between affordability and need, um, and they are always in conflict in those disputes. 
Well, thank you for, for all of your time on that. I think just to, to close up, I wondered if anybody had really any top tips for, for those people who might be listening to this podcast that are perhaps at the start of um, a, a journey of going through a divorce process, anything that you think is helpful for them to know really before they embark on that? I think tr this is so much easier said than done, but I think insofar as someone is able trying to approach things with a more professional than an emotional standpoint will make life much easier. Um, it can be so easy when you're going through this process to um, think about what you might have lost through the marriage, what has been done to you through the marriage. Whereas if you can try to focus in on um, basically the raw figures, um, then you tend to get to your conclusion much more speedily. I'm not sure if it's something I would be able to do in that position, though. <laughs> um, following on from uh, that, and I agree with what Mandy said there, I think if at all possible, it's quite helpful to have non-legal support, um, whether it's by therapy or friends uh, who can kind of manage the emotional side, because I, I, I think it helps clients to be able to talk through the emotional side um, and then be more focused on the practicalities and the commercial side with their lawyers and of course um, it, it saves them costs if they're not um, using their lawyers as therapists as well. Absolutely we're very very expensive therapists um, <laughs> and not qualified for it absolutely. Uh, Grace did you have anything to add there? I definitely agree with um, what's been said before in, in particular about how um, we are not the therapists you know there's only so much we as your solicitors and barristers can do for you particularly if you're at court on the day time is necessarily focused on what we're doing then and I definitely agree that having some some friends in the background is a helpful thing I think what I would say though is be very careful of the friend whose cousin's wife's dog had a divorce and what happened in their case this happened and getting tales like that um, often can derail your own focus um, and whilst that help is no doubt coming from the right place each case is going to turn on its own facts. Who knows what happened in that particular friend's family's case and, and the like, and to try not to think too much on what other people might have had happen to them, because this is your case, your life, and we will approach it in such a way. That's great. That, thank you all so much for, for your time on that. I'm sure that people listening will find uh, those thoughts really helpful. Um, and it's certainly been very illuminating. Uh, so thank you to Carmeny Kumar, Mandy Tanner, Grace Garrett Sadler for their time on this podcast. Uh, for any more information on divorce uh, and financial uh, disputes, you can go to our website, brabners.com, and search for Brabners Personal. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.